we got a lot of people real confused right now, okay? If you're in your 30s, you're thinking, all right, this is my kind of church. If you're, uh, I don't know, 45, 50 and up, you're thinking, is this church? Can you do that in church? Let me just uh, introduce this song this morning, and in doing so, introduce today's psalm. We are going to be in Psalm 10, and that song right there is Lincoln Park's song, Faint. Now, this song came out 20 years ago. 20 years ago, all right? At some points in my life, I feel pretty young still, but that that song came out 20 years ago is absolutely crazy to me. Parents, you may recognize that song as the song that your kids would go to their room, slam the door, and just put all the way up to 11 whenever you would get in a fight with them. This song really just articulated a lot of the way my generation felt as we were younger. This song, it made a lot of difference on my generation, made a lot of difference on culture, and again, it really kind of voiced what we were feeling, right? All of this angst put to music, put in a way that we could really express ourselves because we just couldn't put words to it, probably because we just weren't smart enough, okay? We played a lot of Pokemon growing up, maybe a lot of brain trauma from dodgeball. I'm not sure, but we did survive Y2K, all right? We, did, we have that going for us. There was a lot of shenanigans going on in the White House back then. We survived that as well. We also survived one of the most rampant divorce rates in our culture at that time. We were trying to find ourselves in a rapidly changing world. And then Linkin Park releases this hit. If you are a Gen Z, I think you call these bangers now. They released that banger of a, of a track. It slaps, I think. For real, for real, no cap. It was pretty good. All right. I don't know if any of that's true, but it sounds good. All of that kind of came to a a head in culture, and it exploded. And this song got to the about 43rd place out of Billboard's Top 100. It got number one modern rock track. And still to this day, it pumps up sports teams everywhere. Still to this day, I think kids that are angry, trying to find their way in the world, can just turn this on and just feel like they're seen, just feel like they're known, feel like they are heard. And really, most importantly, We're going to get back into the Bible now. I think this ties in perfectly to our psalm today when we look at Psalm 10, because I think the psalmist would really relate to this song, Faint, by Linkin Park. He would relate to the lyrics, I am a little bit of loneliness, a little bit of disregard, a handful of complaints, but I can't help the fact, if you know it, you can sing rap along with me, that everyone can see these scars, I am, what I want you to want, what I want you to feel. But it's like no matter what I do, I can't convince you to just believe this is real. So I let go, watching you, turn your back like you always do, face away and pretend I'm not, but I'll be here because you're all that I got. I can't feel, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, we're going to cut it there. I know what that applause is for. I'm going to finish now. I can't feel the way I did before. Don't turn your back on me. I won't be ignored. I think if we're looking at today's psalm in a very real way, there's a very real way that we as believers can feel like God is ignoring us. We can feel like God is ignoring our situation. We can also feel, God can also feel like we are ignoring him. Two weeks ago, we went over Psalm 1. We dove into the different types of psalms. There are psalms of praise. These are our happy psalms. There are psalms of lament. This is a psalm 
of lament. This is a little bit more angry. This is a little bit more rage-filled. This is a little bit more, where do I find myself with these feelings? And what we learned about Psalms of lament is that they ask two questions. Or really, they do two things. They look at the world around them, often with, with discontentment. And then what they do is they ask God, God, what are you going to do about this? And that's important for us because I think we've lost it. And so today's question is, why, O Lord, as we look at verse 1, chapter 10, verse 1 of Psalms, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And there's something that I hope that we can see in this question. I hope that we can see that it is okay to look out at things that are going on and have some discontentment with it. We should not be okay with everything going on around us as people that are trying to live holy lives in a wicked, perverse, corrupt world. It is then okay to look out and then look up and ask God, God, what is going on right now? God, what are you going to do about it? And then thirdly, I want you to know that it is okay to experience this kind of emotion. What makes it okay is what you do with this kind of emotion. If you just go, slam your door, turn on Lincoln Park as loud as you can until you just get even more angry and it just stokes the the fires of the rage inside you and you go out and you make a poor decision, well then, no, that kind of feeling leads to a poor choice, a poor action. That's not okay. But when we take it to God, when we rely on him, that is when it is okay. We can't demonize the emotions that God has built us with. God created us in his image. He has these emotions as well. But we can submit our lives to him and how we deal with them. So I would say this. I would say for a lot of us, maybe you grew up in the church. And in the church, you were always taught, um, it was just, uh, you had to be morally correct. You were taught, you need to do this, look like this, say that, sound like this, stay away from these people. Don't listen to this music. Probably weren't allowed to listen to Linkin Park. Do this, don't do that. And all of it is so that you can look the part. And there's a big downfall with looking the part is that you never feel like you can truly be honest with God. And so what I would say is our lack of intimacy with God really stems from a lack of honesty with God. God didn't create us so that we could just hide away at a distance pretending like we're good enough for him, or trying our hardest to be good enough for him. That is religion. What God created us for was not religion. That's what Jesus came and flipped the tables over for. He created us for relationship. Part of relationship is you want to know how the person across the table from you is feeling. You want to know what's taking place in their heart, what's taking place in their mind. And so what I would challenge you, church, if you've grown up in the church, or if church is just new to you, is just be real, be raw, be genuine, Be authentic. Give everything of who you are over to the Lord. He's big enough to deal with it. He can handle it. He is powerful. But don't let your lack of intimacy with God stem from your lack of honesty with God. I think as the church, we we can have our psalm of praise theology down. Like our psalm of praise theology is strong. We know what to do in times that are good. We know how to worship the Lord. We know how to gather together. We know how to celebrate. But I think our psalm of lament theology has grown weak. I think what we tend to do as Christians is we tend to get frustrated with God. 
And when we get frustrated with God in our flesh, we write him off. We distance ourselves from him. We think he is ignoring us. We think he doesn't care. But what I pray that we catch today in Psalm 10 is that we see that the opposite of that is true. That because of our posture and how we deal with the hard, the tough things in life, that all of that would be flipped. The psalmist, when he feels this way, when he feels down, when he feels like God is ignoring him, he looks to God. He draws near to God and he awaits a response. I pray that we would do that today. So let's dive a little bit further into the scripture. We see that the psalmist goes from asking a question. Remember, part of the two things in Psalms of Lament is you ask the question, God, what are you going to do about it? Now we see it's kind of flip-flopped. He starts to look at the situation at hand. God, what are you going to do about this? Now, God, here's what's really going on. And so we have to ask the question, what does this wickedness look like? This is everything he's taking before the Lord. Verses 2 through 6 say, In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. He's making a request to God. For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. What happens? His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. And this is what the psalmist notes. He notes two things about this wicked person. The first thing is that the wicked are arrogant. Our first point today, the wicked are arrogant. If you are taking notes, write that down. There's a few ways that they are arrogant. We see that in their arrogance, they pursue the poor. That means they go after people that are weaker than them to exploit them. They go after the less fortunate. Not only do they go after them, but they boast of desire. That means they make known exactly what they want out of their evil ambition. Maybe you know people like this. Maybe you know people whose tongues are wicked. You may may know people who want to make known exactly what they want out of this person or that person. You know people that look at other people and don't see them as human beings with souls, with lives, with hearts, with families, with friends, with relationships. They look at people as, a, as an object, as a piece of meat, as somebody to dominate, to overcome. That is wicked. And we see that in their greed, they curse and renounce God. That means that they deny his existence. What we see here is an atheism, a mindset of atheism. There is no God. I don't have to worry about God. God does not exist. I will not have any repercussions, any consequences for my action, because God is not a part of this picture. And then again, in his pride, he does not seek God. God is not even a thought in his mind. This is a secularist approach. This is an agnostic approach. Maybe there's something out there, but I don't care enough to even look into it. We see a big thing here is that the wicked are ignorant of God. They don't even think about God. That's dangerous for us because we can hold ourselves up over here as Christians who think about God a lot. And I think on Sunday mornings, maybe Sunday afternoon, probably not on Sunday evenings, we can go from thinking about God to God's not even on our mind anymore. 
Surely come Monday, maybe we're trying to live it out. By Tuesday, we've just given up. And maybe by next Sunday, we'll remember God again. If wickedness comes from the absence of God in your mind, if wickedness comes from the ignorance of God in your life, I think that's dangerous. I think that's something that we need to watch out for because that means now the righteous can become wicked. So we meditate on the word day and night. We keep God's word a part of our lives. What does the psalmist note? What does he note that happens when the wicked do these things, when they say these things? He says they prosper. He says it's like God doesn't even notice these people. What comes from this? The wicked person's ego only inflates, and they feel invincible. He goes on to say, verses 7 through 11, even more on the wicked man. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages, in hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that, they may see, that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws, when he draws him into his net. The, help, the, hope, the helpless are crushed, and they sink down and fall by his might. And then what happens? He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Second thing we see in the wicked is the wicked are aggressive. And this aggression of the wicked is really twofold. It starts first in the tongue. They start to openly curse and deceive and oppress other people with their words. And that's just over the top. There's subtle nuances. There's undertones within this. Motives of sin, of fooling other people. It starts in the heart and it goes to the mouth. I think for us as people that would hopefully find themselves on the righteous side of these things is that the condition of our hearts are often able to be spotted by the condition of our mouths, by the condition of our language. See, what happens is when we stop spending time with the Lord, it doesn't take long for other people that really know us, especially people that may have the gift of discernment, to really figure that out. Instead of speaking life to other people, we start to speak curses of death. Sincerity is quickly replaced with sarcasm. And I would say for me, where it's definitely replaced with sarcasm, it may also be replaced with something good like humor. We start to go back to the garden where we're found out for our sin, and we start to find fig leaves and stitch them together and create these elaborate pieces of clothing that we can hide behind because we know God's going to come looking for us. I think a lot of times that starts definitely in the heart, but from the heart it goes to our mouths, positive encouragement. It's replaced with negativity and dread. If somebody comes up to you and they ask you how you're doing, if the first thing that you start spouting out is how hard things are, how bad you have it, you may be on a slippery slope to wickedness because you've taken your eye off of how God has blessed you and you've placed it on the affliction in your life from the enemy. Now you're focused more on the bad than you are the good. You're not trusting in the Lord to take care of it. You are feeling like you have to figure it out for yourself. But the bad thing is, based off of this scripture here, 
is that it doesn't just stop with the tongue. It goes from the tongue to action. Heart to head to our mouths to action. He quietly studies the wicked man. Quietly studies. And then he waits. And as he waits, he plots. And after he plots, he attacks. And after he attacks, he kills. Not those that are in his city. It says he goes to the villages that are around. This is not a man that's full of confidence. This is a man that is trying to feel more power. This is a person who has a big void in his life, and he's trying to fill it up with anything that he can. And so he thinks exploiting, dominating other people is going to be the way to do it. And so he hides in the bushes. He lures them in. Remember, not in the city. And he's not going for people that are the same strength as he is. He's not picking on somebody his own size. He's going for somebody weaker. There's no doubt that you have experienced people like this. There's no doubt you've experienced in the workplace. Shoot, it might be your boss. It might be a manager. It might be the CEO of the company. It might just be a coworker that you can't stand to be around because every time you're around them, you feel like they're trying to lure you into something. Like they're trying to get a one-up, a heads-up on you. Evil, wicked people. I think we can look around in the world and we could say, all right, who are the wicked people that we know? We're reading, we're studying up on who this wicked person is. Is it, is it somebody that's in the White House? Is it the people that are behind the people in the White House? Is it the Illuminati? I'm not really sure who it is. I mean, it's secret society, what, what's going on here? And we can start to build these big, elaborate things in our minds. Hey, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. All right, I'm not here to say. But we start to look for the wicked person. Like all the wickedness in our lives is out there. It's on somebody else. That's Bill Gates. That's Jeffrey Epstein. That's somebody else. That's certainly not me. That's certainly not people that I know. But I think when we turn and look at ourselves in the mirror, that we will see wickedness actually is a lot closer to home than we realize. Wickedness comes down to an absence of thought of the Lord in our minds. It goes from ignorance of God. So we have to look at ourselves and say, okay, I'm going to church, but am I really, outside of that, do I have any knowledge of God? Do I truly know God? Could I say God knows me? Have I put my trust, my faith in Jesus to save me, to forgive me of my sin? Have I trusted in him to make me right with the Lord so that I can be made clean, so that I can go before God and actually have a relationship with him? Or are we just good with this? We worship, we have some Christian karaoke, and then we leave. I hope that's not the case. I think the wicked could be people in our families. Shoot, it's Father's Day. Let's be honest here. Some of you fathers might say, yeah, I got two or three little wicked ones at the house right now. <laughs> Anytime our family gathers, I can point out and I can say, that's a wicked person. That's a wicked person. That's just your crazy uncle, all right? By the way, if you don't have a crazy uncle, you might be the crazy uncle, which means you might be the wicked person in your family. Wickedness is close to home. Who are they? What do we do about it? I think with wickedness, we have to be patient. We have to be patient because what we're about to find out and how we deal with it. But what is the result? What is the result of all of this wickedness? The psalmist writes that the wicked person thinks that he can't be touched. He thinks that he is invisible to God, and in turn, once again, he is emboldened in sin. You see, now the wicked, the wicked, he acknowledges God. 
And not only does he acknowledge God, but he openly opposes him. He has knowledge of God. He knows what he shouldn't do. And he goes and he does it. You guys ever seen Harry Potter? You know that little invisibility cloak that Harry Potter's always running around? Sometimes Ron Weasley will get under there. The wicked man is running around with a fake invisibility cloak, thinking that God can't see anything that he does, but he sees him. Psalmist, where is he at with this? How is he feeling? If you're going to introduce uh, Psalm 10 with some hard emo rock song, you've got you to gotta talk about the emotional feelings of the psalmist that wrote it. The psalmist at this point, he's feeling abandoned. He's feeling ignored by God. How could this be? Not only do the wicked do their wicked things, but now, God, you have allowed them to prevail. The righteous are suffering, God. Do you see this? Hey, upstairs, you busy right now? Look down here. Do you see the oppression that's taking place? That might make a few of you uncomfortable. But that's the realness of the relationship of this psalmist with the Lord that we are to be about as well. He's saying this isn't right. And then he is saying, God, do something about it. And then, and then the psalmist takes action, verses 12 through 15. Arise, O Lord God. He is calling God. God, do what only you can do. Lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Look down at us. See us. Why does this wicked renounce God? And say in his heart, you will not call to account, but you do see, and you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. So break the arm of the wicked. That's a prayer right there. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. Third point today is go to God with your concerns. Go to God with your concerns. I think in times like this where we feel like God just isn't around, we start to try to take everything into our own hands. But the psalmist goes to God and he puts them in the only hands that are capable. That is God's. He cries out, God, fix this. And then what does he do? He reinforces his prayer with truth. And I think this is to remind God, I know this is who you are. This is who you've told me you are. But I think this is also to soothe himself. He reinforces his prayer with truth. God, you see this. That is true. God, you know exactly what is going on. That is true. God, please handle this. A great request. And then God, this is who you are. God, you are a protective father. And when he prays that God would break the arm of the wicked man, of the evildoer, what he is praying there is that God would remove the power from that person. And then he is saying, God, go get him. Rake this evil person over the coals over and over again. It says, call his wickedness to account till you find none. Based on the wickedness of this man, that's a lot of times. And these are real prayers that we can pray that God will hear, and then he will step in and he will act. But we have to realize that it's in God's timing, not our own. We need to realize that God will not be ignored. And we have to realize that God will not ignore us. So that means we have to do a few different things. That means that we need to take our needs before God honestly. Lay it all out on the table. Stop trying to play like you're a 
super powerful Christian. Like you don't have problems that you don't need God to intercede on. Stop acting like you have it all together. Bring it before God with exactly how you feel. I promise you he can handle it. And once you do, wait patiently on the Lord. Psalm 40 verse 1, I waited patiently on the Lord and what did he do? He inclined to me and he heard my cry. God will interject. But we have to, as believers that trust in him, we have to wait on his timing and we have to trust and buy into his plan. The last thing that I want for us is for us to mistake in God's patience for God's absence. God's patience is something that we desperately need. It is something that the wicked desperately need. But God's patience does not mean that he is not a part of the picture. We can say, God, do this to that person. They deserve it. God, call down fire from heaven because of what this person is doing. We can point and point and point all day. And I'm going to use a dad joke because it's Father's Day. I wouldn't normally say this, but I have a license today. You know what happens when you point at somebody? You've got three fingers pointing back at you. All right, you see that? One here. I don't know. This one might be going up. Is the thumb a finger? I'm not sure. Is Pluto a planet? We don't know. But we have three fingers, boom, pointing right back at us. Remember, as you pray, as you call things out on the wicked, and as you ask God to act immediately, that you have to trust in his timing. Because there was once a time when you were that wicked person. There was once a time when you needed God's patience so that he could call, him, call you to himself into right relation with him through the work of Jesus on the cross. We finish out with this. The psalmist praises God. He's waited. He knows that God will act. He knows it will be in his timing. He knows there will be justice. Verse 16 through 18, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. So that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Fourth and final point this morning, praise God for justice. Praise God that he rules and reigns forever. Wicked rulers will come and go. Wicked men will come and go. Wicked civilizations will come and go. But God remains. Praise God for justice because as big as he is, he still sees us as small as we are. He is still present in our lives. He, strength, he strengthens us to persist in the pain. He gives justice to those that are inflicting the pain. And he ensures that they will get what they deserve. And so what we have to do here at the end of this psalm, remember this is the Old Testament. Jesus has not come yet. There's so much prophecy within all of this that is pointing forward to Jesus, but we have to find where Jesus is in this and how this applies to us. Four places Jesus is in this. Jesus is on the cross. Jesus is dying for the wicked man. Jesus is not just on the cross. Jesus is resurrected, having defeated the wickedness that has overtaken these people so that they, just like you, just like me, when we put our faith in Jesus, can be loosed of the chains of sin in their life so that addiction will no longer persist, so that sin, shame, brokenness, filthiness, uncleanliness 
will be no more in their lives, so that they, by the work of Jesus on the cross, his victory over sin, death, and the enemy, they too will be made clean. Where's Jesus? Jesus is present. He is present with the fatherless, those without protection. He is present with those that are oppressed, with them every step of the way. Where is Jesus? He is ruling and he is reigning. And he is waiting to bring final justice. That justice that you are praying for, for that thing that that person did, that they never should have done, will come. It may not be in your time, but there will be a final judgment. And that person will be breaked over the coals over and over again and held accountable for the things that they have done, just as you will. But may we pray that that person gives their life to Jesus, that they find forgiveness for the things that they have done, so that when judgment comes, Jesus steps in place, just like he's done for you, and he advocates for them on behalf of their sin. He says, yes, God, they do deserve this, but I took their place. Me? The only sinless, perfect one, fully God, fully man, was their substitute on the cross so that I could die in their place, so I could take what they deserved and they could get what they can never earn, what they can never deserve. And that is righteousness. That is being made clean. So now, how do we take this? How do we walk out the door with it? How are we to be the church and display the kingdom? I would say take account of the wicked things that are taking place around you. It doesn't take long. You can just turn on Fox News, CNN, I don't know, other other news channels, you can turn those on too. See what they're saying. Take it into account. Interject yourself with prayer. Go to God with exactly how you feel. And don't hold it right here. Because when you hold it right here, that's when stress, that's when anxiety, that's when dread is going to overtake your life. Release it to God. Let it go. Release it to Him. Let Him take care of it. And then once you do that, take comfort that he is in control. Let's pray.